right? Taylor, would you say that? Okay, what I wanted to talk about is one of the things that I think he thinks is extremely valuable, that I think is fundamental to the whole Christian deal, and also that just helps us thrive in relationships at all. I mean, one of the things that he said was the most important is your relationship with God and your relationship with people. So I want to talk about something that affects both of those at their very foundation, at their very core, at their very root, at the whole bottom. You know what I mean? And what that is, is, is basically, I don't know if we have the verse up here yet. I am in the way of the projector. There it is. It's, what's, it's some of the things that are communicated in this verse. Okay? I'm going to read this verse, and then I'm going to... Your hand is God. My hand is in the way of God. Okay. And then I'm going to attempt to try to explain some things that I think that it's communicating. All right? This is what it says. This is in Psalm chapter 32. It says, blessed, which is the word for truly happy. So you could insert truly happy there if you want. Truly happy is he who, whose transgressions are forgiven. Transgressions are like sins or wrong things that you do. Whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin God does not count against him. And in whose spirit is no deceit. Now, this last part is the thing that we're mainly going to talk about. Whose spirit is no deceit. All right? Now, I'm going to tell you a story to kind of illustrate this. Now, i got to set this story up. One thing I need to say about the story, some people in here have already heard it. And I apologize to you. Bear with me. Stick it out. You'll be okay. And secondly, I need to say that those of you who have not heard this story are not going to believe it. As I'm telling this story, you flat out are not going to believe that it's true. You're going to be like, is this a joke? Is this fake? Is this like not real? Is this one of those prank stories where at the end you twist it and it's all a big scam? And no, it's, it, this really happened. Everything I'm about to say truly, really happened. Okay? You with me? All right, here we go. Basically, what happened was, is a couple years ago when I was in college, it was a summer after my senior year. No, summer after my freshman year of college. And I'm hanging out with some of my friends. I have Ryan, and then there's these three girls. We have... <laughs> I, ha I have hung out with girls before, yes. That's true. Um, one of them is Valerie, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Debbie and Christina. Okay. No, Leslie. Leslie, Debbie, and Christina. I hope Leslie never hears this, me telling this. So they're in the back seat, and we're driving along, and then we just start talking. And I bring up, we drive, we're driving down Avenue D, which is kind of like the heart of Katy, Texas, where I'm from. It's like the main road. And we're driving down, and there's this tarot card reader lady, and she has a little booth. You know, it's like a little hut house thing. And, you know, you go in, and you get your tarot, your palms red and all that business. I've never done it. But she's there. So we're driving past it. It's kind of late at night. And there was this myth, this urban legend in town that this lady, this like, you know, witch doctor lady, would go to the cemetery down the road from where this little booth was with her friends and have like these seances. They would do like rituals and stuff. But, you know, people were, we didn't know if it was a rumor or a myth or whatever. So I just brought it up. And I was like, hey, have you guys heard about, like, those seances that they have at the cemetery, you know? And the girls are like, whatever, Mar, come on, you know that's not real. I'm like, hey, how do you know? Have you ever seen it? And they're like, no. Have you ever been there at night? They're like, no. I'm like, how do you know? You know, they could be doing that stuff. 
And they're like, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I was like, well, why don't we just go stop by? Why don't we drive by, see what's going on, and we'll see what happens, right? And so they're like, okay, whatever. So we go in, and let me paint a picture for you for what the cemetery looks like. You got this road, right? <laughs> the road goes down, and then the road ends, and the cemetery is on the left side of the road over here, right? And it's way out in the middle of this open field, so there's nothing around, just like rice fields. And um, Katie is known for its rice, agricultural stuff, all right? Look it up. We're not into the history of Katie here. So the cemetery is um, on the left. And the way it works is there's a horseshoe, a horseshoe drive that goes in. And then the cemetery's in the middle and then all around, and then there's a big light on a light post that shines across the cemetery. And so we're driving in, and we take a left, and we're, I'm kind of going real slow, and I'm driving in my red Jeep Cherokee. It's just like the one I have now, but it's red. It's a lot older, and right now it's not running because it was barely running when I had it. And so we're driving down the road, and then all of a sudden, I kid you not, we look over into the middle of the cemetery, and there is a man standing there. There's a man standing in the middle of the cemetery in the middle of the night just looking at our car. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And I look over, and the way, the, what, the, what the man looked like made it even more extreme. He was this big old tall dude, like 6'2", 6'3", about my height, except he was also like 300 pounds. <laughs> he was huge, but not like just kind of big and heavy. He was kind of buff. I mean, he was just a larger man, you know, rough and tumble, big dude. And so we look at him, and he's also old. He's like this old grandpa. He's got this pointy nose, this jagged chin, and this crazy white hair that isn't long. It's like out. <laughs> it's like he had just been electrified. It looks dirty. Like you, you either have moose or something to hold the hair up. And it probably wasn't moose knowing an old man. So it's, yeah, he's just nasty, grease, whatever. And so he's over there, and he's staring right at us. Okay, He's looking right at us. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, look at this guy. And the girls look over, and they're like, they're just kind of stunned, just staring at it. And he's just standing there staring at us. And then all of a sudden, the dude just starts sprinting straight towards our car. <laughs> I kid you not. He is just running full speed at our car, just coming at us. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, what in the world is going on? So I, the girls instantly start screaming bloody murder. Like, they're like, ah! They're screaming bloody murder, scared to death. Their faces are in, their hands are covering their faces. Their faces are down in their laps. And they really don't even look out the car the rest of the whole experience, you know. They're just screaming, not looking at anything. So I just slam on the gas. My, my tires just start spinning. Rocks are coming up against the bottom of the Jeep. And then finally my car goes. Well, as I take off, I'm pulling around the bend. The dude cuts left. And he starts running to cut us off. And I'm just like, he's not just out for like a, he's not working out, you know, like he's chasing us. And so I come around the bend and he runs. He jumps in front of our car. No joke. He takes his hands and he, I slam on the brakes and stop because I don't want to kill him. I'm a Christian, you know. And so, so he takes his hands on the front of the hood of the car and he starts moving the car up and down. He's like, oh, like pushing it up and down. And we're just like, 
oh, 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 I'm like yelling and screaming. The girls are like, ah, they're like, we're going to die, you know, and I'm just like, oh, I look at Ryan, he's like, ah, he's got the dashboard like this, he's just grabbing it, screaming. So I put it in reverse, I slam on the gas, and all of a sudden I'm flying backwards and he's chasing after the car. I'm just like, what is going on? So I get enough away from him because he's, you know, I'm, I'm in a car, he's not. And I, I just throw the, I mean, I just fling the wheel like this. I just swing it. The car spins around. It's, it's a pretty cool move. And then I put it in to drive. And then I step on the gas and start going forward again. And so I, I'm pulling around the side. I'm now going to exit the cemetery and leave, okay? I mean, I've had enough with wizards today. And so I'm about to get out of here, and then Ryan, my buddy, is like, stop the car. And so I just stopped because he was so adamant about stopping. I'm like, but it was just re all reaction at this point. And so I stopped the car, and he gets out of the car. Now, I need to tell you something about Ryan. Ryan was one of these guys who was like, if you said his name, Ryan Keith, you would instantly think fighter. He was like the guy who fights at school all the time. You know, I, I had heard about three or four fights he was in before I even met him. And like one time he threw a lunch table across the room, you know, all this kind of crazy stuff. He's wild. But then he, he met Jesus and his life changed and he became more like Jesus. And so, but he still kind of had some of the old fleshly tendencies, you know. So he, I, didn't, I thought, is he just going to go off on this guy? And he's a tough kid. So I didn't know. So he gets out of the car. He starts sprinting straight towards this guy. They're about to have a collision in a cemetery at 12 o'clock at night. I'm like, what is going on? So they're about to have this collision. They're just running dead at each other. And I'm just looking back. And all of a sudden, this dude, like, kind of clotheslines him, but kind of grabs him like this, and then picks him up and slams him on the ground. <laughs> and all, one big move, just boom. And Ryan's just boom. And he's just on the ground like lifeless. And then I don't know if you know WWF in the 80s. There's this guy, Jimmy Fly Snuka. He had this move called the splash. He kind of coined that from the top rope. Well, this is what this guy did. He just kind of jumps up in the air, body splash, boom, right on top of Ryan, like wrestling. Like not in the here, but like, you know, at the big dome, that wrestling. And then, uh, so I get out of the car, and I'm like, what am I going to do? So I just get out of the car. I'm, I'm starting to walk over there. I figure, you know, maybe we can slow down here. Just, let's have a conversation, you know. <laughs> I'm a communications major. Maybe we can talk about this. And so I start walking over there, and the guy stands up, and now he's just staring dead at me. And it's like face-off. <laughs> and I'm like, if it were only the Old West, you know, it would be you know, a little easier. But um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so then... The guy's just standing there, and all of a sudden, he takes his hand, and he reaches, and he grabs his neck like this. And I'm just like, okay. <laughs> and then he kind of grabs like this, and he begins to pull off a mask and throws it on the ground. He's no longer an old man. He is now my friend, Scott Pendleton. <laughs> and so at this point, the girls kind of figure out what's going on. And they're livid mad. Like, some of, like, two of them aren't even talking. They're just like. The other one's just like, I can't believe you guys. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. You know, being a girl, which is a good thing. Girls are great. You know, a girl in a very extreme situation, you know. 
So then we get in the car, make a long story short, you know, 20 minutes later we reconcile, they're good to go, you know, we give them some candy, they're fine. And, uh, <laughs> okay, I just crossed the line, I just crossed the line, sorry. You know, crossed the line every once, I, we didn't give them candy, we just talked to them. Um, but I have, a, I have an observation about that story I wanted to make, and it, it kind of makes, sets up the whole rest of this talk, is um, what made the car ride for those girls so excruciatingly horrifying? Well, one, the fact that they thought this crazy wizard was gonna kill them. <laughs> but at, at its root, at its core, what was going on was is Scott wasn't being himself. Scott was pretending to be somebody else. Scott was wearing a mask. Scott was living a life of, well, it's gone, deceit. He was deceiving the girls. And that's a little bit of a stretch, but just to say that all of us in some way, in the way that we live our lives, we do what Scott did on a more minor basis, a more subtle basis. But the way that we do it doesn't just isn't a flash in the pan, a one-night thing that scares people. What we do is we set up this, a literal mask that we wear over time that becomes part of who we are. It becomes what people, who people think we are, and it even becomes who we think we are. And we get to the point where we even can for, forget who we are, and it's like we're living a life that is a complete lie. And I know that every person in here struggles with it. Because every person in here has at least told a lie at some point. And I wanna, I'm going to ask four questions to talk about this mask. And this, thing, this is important. I believe this is extremely important for every single person in this room. Especially myself. Because it affects our relationships with God or our relationship with God. And it drastically will affect your relationships with your friends, your family, your spouses, your kids. Everybody. It's really important. Um, so here are the four questions I want to ask. The first question is, how do we make these masks? Like, what are they made of? The second one is, where do they come from? What's their origins? Thirdly, how does it hurt us to wear the mask? And fourth, what, what can we do to help? Or what, what can we do to get out of these things destroying our lives? Does that make sense? Real simple. So the first question, real simple. What is the mask made of? Well, simply put, the mask is made of lies. Lies and deceit. I don't know if you guys can remember your first lie. I know that you all have told plenty. Um, it's true of everybody. But I, the, the farthest memory I could think of of my first lie or like a lie that I told was um, I was like in elementary school. I don't know if it was second or third grade. And I had just figured out what the whole air conditioning thing was all about. You guys remember when you first figured that out? It was like, oh, wow, there's like this little lever, and when I move it, it actually affects the temperature of this whole house. You know, I can make it hot, and I can make it cold. It's like power. You know, for a little second grader, that's a lot of power. You know, you know just with a flip of the switch or the, the movement of the deal. And um, so there's this one night, I think it was a Friday or Saturday night, and our family was going to have movie night where we get together and watch a movie up in the TV room. And so... For some reason, after dinner, you know, before we go up there, I just walk over and all the way down. <laughs> you know, just try it out. So then we go up into the room. Halfway through the movie, our whole family has like three or four blankets. <laughs> or I remember on the floor like shaking, like, oh, this is awesome. It's so cold. Yeah. 
I love a cold room, you know, so cozy. You know, come snuggle with me, you know. Um, that's not inappropriate because in second grade, that's fine. And um, so the next morning, I'm, I'm, I remember tying my shoes. I'm on the steps sitting there tying my shoes, and my dad is walking by, and he kind of stops, and he turns, and he looks at me, and I'm like, hey. And he's like, did you, Mark, did you turn the air condition down last night? And I look, at, I look up at him, and I just say, no. No, I didn't do that. <laughs> and then he's like, no, are you sure? Like, are you sure this one over here, you didn't move that down? I was like, no, that wasn't me. No. He asked me like three or four times, every, no, that wasn't me. Now, why did I do that? Like, what's the big deal? You know, like maybe it will cost five bucks. I don't know how much this stuff costs. That's probably why our electric bill is so freaking high. But um, why do we tell lies? You know, I think there's white lies, you know, simple lies like that. That uh, What does that really harm anybody? But then there's like the big lies. You know, some people you meet, they'll make up entire scenarios for their lives, you know. Um, other times, you might just tell a lie to get out of some trouble. You might tell a lie for a lot of different reasons. But what's going on there is it's kind of like here's the real you right here, okay? Let's say this is your real face, okay? And then it's like we're subtly trying to create this other person. We're trying to, like, form this other person that we want other people to think that we are through black and white lies that are just straight up, but maybe little ways we subtly tell stories or ways that we like do things or talk to people that kind of creates this other person. And then we kind of put that mask on. And, you know, this might happen in a lot of different ways. Here's a couple examples, okay? You've got the real you over here, but then there's the fake you, the mask you. And everybody has this to some degree, okay? So if you're saying, oh, I don't have that at all, then you're in more trouble than anybody, okay? So just listen closely. The real you, for example, might be sad and depressed. You might be sad. Your state of being might be that you feel really bad. But then you put on this thing over here that says, no, I'm, I'm happy, I'm good, everything is okay, okay? But that's not really you. Another example is you might be, the real you might be afraid of what other people think of you. You might really kind of be scared of what other people think of you. And the real you is really kind of bent out of shape about that. But what you do is the fake you, you say stuff like, oh, I don't care what people think about me. Which when you say that reveals that you do because you wouldn't have to say it if you really did. And you hold people at a distance. You kind of hold a lot, some people at a distance because you're afraid of what's going to happen if they get close to you and see the real you, see? If they know what you really do and what you're really about, they might reject you. They might shun you. They might make fun of you. They might do something to cut you, you see? But you put on a front like you don't care, you know? Another thing is, is you might have a lot of questions about God, you might actually have a lot of questions, things that you don't know about. You don't know what's going on with some things about God. You don't really know what's going on with some things about the spiritual realm and all the stuff that's going on in the Bible. You might even be frustrated with God. You might actually be mad at him. Like, God, I don't understand you. I'm mad at you. I'm frustrated with you. But you wouldn't dare be honest about that. So you put up a front like everything's peachy cream and your relationship with God is good. 
Okay. Another one. Um, let's see here. Now, this one is, I think, one that's true of everybody. Is that to some degree, everyone in here struggles with some kind of addiction. You're addicted to something. Like there's something in your life that you can't not do. Like you're stuck. And as much as you try, you just can't stop doing it. But you put up a face and now I'm, I'm doing pretty well because you want to look good morally. You want people to think that you're morally okay, that you're a good person. So you would never want people to know about that thing that you're just addicted to, that you can't shake. You might feel ugly and unattractive. You might feel you look at the mirror in the morning and you're just like, this isn't how I want to look. So you just do whatever it takes to get people to think that you're, that you're beautiful. You might be afraid of failure. You might be scared to death of failing or making a mistake. So you put up this front that you don't make mistakes, you're never wrong, and you'll argue your socks off to prove that you're right. And one more, and this I think is the most dangerous of anything, mainly because these are the people that are described in great detail that killed Jesus. And these are the people who are insecure. They're afraid of what people think about them. They're scared of people. But the way that they deal with it is they put on this religion mask. They put on this mask like they're religious. They're, they're together morally. They don't struggle with stuff. They've got it all together. They have no fears. They know about God. They kind of have God figured out. They kind of know what works with reaching lost people and helping people. And they give off this thing like they're superior to others. Like, come to me. I will help you. I'm kind of the one to go to, you see. I, I, to be honest with you, this is probably the one that I struggle with, um, you know, as much as any of these other ones. And so if you're there, you know, maybe you should talk to me. I can tell you how bad it can get. Okay, so th that's just kind of what the mask is made of. It's made of deceit. It's made of lies. And lies are the, the thread through which we weave this mask. So where does this come from? Why, where did this originate? How did this all start? Well, the Bible story I wanted to share with you that illustrates this whole thing is the Garden of Eden. I don't know if you guys have heard this story. Most of you have. It's about Adam and Eve, kind of the first people that God created. Well, when God created Adam and Eve, it was this per place of like perfect harmony with God, with creation, with animals. You know, some scholars that study you know, the whole first couple chapters of the Garden of Eden or whatever, they say that the animals probably just walked around and like a big tiger, you could just kind of jump on them and tumble with them. There was no like, there was no death, there was no suffering, it was all just kind of this perfect environment. And that was what God created the earth and the world to be like. That was what it was intended to be. But then there was this point where, you know, the bad guy, the devil came in, and he, he basically tempted Adam and Eve to disobey the rule that God, the one rule God had given them. And when they disobeyed this rule, when they broke the requirement that God had for them, the one thing he told them not to do, it caused a separation in their relationship with God, which was the core of what made the place perfect. And so what happened was, is when they broke this law, when they committed the first sin. They were, they were separated from a relationship with God because he's perfect and you have to 
you know, be kind of perfect to be in this relationship with him. What happened was, you know the first thing that they did, or one of the first couple things, <laughs> is they went and they put on clothes. They covered up. It was like they had to cover themselves as if there was something to cover. And we still do that to this day. We find ways to cover our shame and cover our little, our guilt and cover the wounds that we do to ourselves and other people do to us. And on a practical level, how does this happen now? Well, there's two ways that you can kind of be scarred in life. Two ways that you can kind of be spiritually wounded. And when you're wounded, that's kind of the reason you would want to put on the mask. And here's kind of how it works. One, you could sin yourself. You yourself could do something that breaks the law of God. God has a law for us. It's kind of like, this is right, this is wrong. And it's not just a law of good things to do and not do. It's actually like how he designed the earth. And when you go against the design of creation, you're kind of going against the way you were designed to live, kind of like a car. If a car is driving down the road and you have it in drive, you know, and then you're going like 60 miles an hour, and then all of a sudden you throw it into reverse and slam on the gas, what's going to happen to the whole engine? The transmission. Yeah, what's it's going to be all jacked up. You're going to really mess up the engine. And in the same way, you, you are a, you are more, you are far more complex. Your soul and your heart and your spirit is drastically more complex than any automobile. And there's all the, there's a system that God has implanted into the universe that when we go against it, it it, it ruins us. It ruins our hearts, it ruins our spirit, and, and it destroys us. And so one of the ways that we can be scarred or wounded to kind of want to put on the mask and cover things up is when we disobey God and break some of those things. You know, another one would be when someone else does something to you. You might be completely innocent of something, or you might be like walking around in your day or your life, and then someone else commits a sin that hits you, okay? That you didn't do anything, but they brought it upon you and, and you had no choice. You had no way of getting out. That also can leave a scar upon your heart, upon your mind, and get you. Now, there's, there's two ways that we can respond to this. One thing that we can do is we can cover it up. We can cover up this thing, okay? The other option is to just reveal it, to show other people that we have relationships with what has happened. Now, the last two points are about these two things. Now, what happens when you cover it up? Here's what happens when you cover it up. When you cover it up and you put on the mask and you begin to fake it and deceive it and do this whole thing, here's a couple things. One, you become highly sensitized to your own sin and you judge and point out the sin and flaws of others. That's fundamentally why people are real critics, you know? Like they, they easily point everybody else's stuff out, you know? Because your thing is so sensitive to you, you don't want people to see it, you don't want to deal with it, so you want to deflect. You want to point it out on somebody else. Oh, look at this person. And it might be something silly, it might be something stupid like what they wear, how they talk, or you know, how they conduct themselves. Or it might even be something more extreme, you know? It might be something more like, you know, judging their character, judging who they are, 
you know, being their judge, like you, you have the right to like punish them, you know, all kinds of different ways that you try to deflect and criticize other people. Another one is, is that the world begins to revolve around you. It's kind of, you become selfish. What happens is, is like if I stub my toe, it's injured, okay? What do I automatically do? Hey, everybody, look at the, my, my toe is stubbed. You want to draw attention to the stubbed toe, you know? You ever wonder why you draw attention to you? Because there's something wrong with you. It's kind of like, look at me. Well, why are you doing that? Same reason the toe is stubbed. There's something wrong with you. If you're okay with who you are, you were, you wouldn't have to have everybody, hey, you know? And you draw attention, you become selfish. You become, it's about the world exists for you. And it disables you from being able to serve others, to think about others, to pray for others, to think about others' well-being and all that kind of stuff. Thirdly, um, we hide it and, it and it can harden. It can begin to harden in your heart. When you hide it and you keep it a secret, you become more susceptible to do it again and to do more of it. That thing that might damage you or might damage others, if nobody knows about it, then who is there to kind of like talk to you about it? And you'll do it again and again and again and do more of it. And then fourthly, this is, I think, you know, the worst one. We, we're cut off from love. We can't experience real relationships. We can't experience real love. I mean, if I were to ask who in here wants to be in love or have a loving relationship with anybody, nobody in here would be like, no, I don't want it. I don't want love. You know, it's like deep down, I know, I know, I know. You may say it, but everybody in here wants to be loved and they want to be accepted. I know you want that. You want people to love you. You want people to accept you. And the only way they can do that is if they know who you really are. You see? Because as long as you got this thing going on, who are they loving? They're loving this. They're not loving the real you. They're loving this thing over here that doesn't even exist. It's just this fake apparition of, or, you know, your own creation. <laughs> Wrong word. I don't even know what that is, apparition. Whatever. All right, so real quickly, how do we get better? How do we grow? How do we, how do we you know, experience this? Well, very simply, you take it off. You take off your mask. You take it off and you show people who you really are. You be honest with what you really think. Honest with what you really feel. You know, I find myself all the time, I'll be talking to people and they'll be saying things to me and I don't agree with it and I don't like affirm it, but I will go along with it anyways. I'm like, why am I doing that? I don't really think that, but I just said that. Why? Well, I want to be, I want them to love and accept me. But it would be, we would have a better relationship if I was honest with what I really think, you know? But to really illustrate this, what I'm going to do is, is, you know, I think you guys will like this. I don't know what you're going to think of it. But I decided I was thinking this through when I was writing this talk. And I thought, okay, I'm talking about being who you really are, taking off your mask. Like, how can I really illustrate how to do this? And I thought, you know, there's, I don't know if this was God or whatever, but I just thought the only, the only real thing I could do would be to do it, to like do it right now, right here with you and actually take it off and show you some of the things that I think I really am that I wouldn't want you to know. Okay. <laughs> so I'm a little nervous about this, to be honest. 
There's the real me. The real me is nervous. The real me is kind of like, what are they going to think of me? But that's me. It's just who I am. I, I can't, I got to be who I am, you know? And here's kind of how it, I wrote it. I said, okay, God, I believe you exist and you're here. Would you like sh help me know and think about what are the things that the last 10 things I would ever want this crowd of people to know about? Just bring them to my mind and I'm just going to write them down. <laughs> so I just started writing things down. Okay, one, two, three, four, all the way to 10. And then I looked at it and I was like, okay, no way. There's no way I'm going to read that. They would be like freaking out. And I said, no, I got to do this. This is just, I think this is going to be good for everybody. So I didn't change it. I didn't reorder it. You know, when I originally wrote it, I just wrote it. It's so, you know, the first one you might hear it and oh, you freak out. I don't know. It's just what it is. So right here, top 10. Top 10 things I don't want you to know about me, but are true about me. Okay. All right. Now, this is under the assumption. <laughs> this is under the assumption that you guys are people of grace, which we'll talk about after the list, okay? And that you're forgiving people and that you are, you know, people who don't, yeah, okay, here we go. I, 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 just let me read it. All right, number one, I have an addiction to sexual lust. Number two, I don't know how to manage my money well. Number three, I am addicted to the approval of people, and I find so much of my self-worth in other people's view of me as a good spiritual leader. When it comes to my job, I make it seem like I know what I'm doing, when a lot of the time I make things up as I go along. Number five, I'm insecure about the quality and quantity of my friendships. Number six, I forget things I'm responsible for a lot. Number seven, I want you to think I'm smooth with the ladies, <laughs> but I'm convinced I don't understand them at all, and I'm very insecure of my ability to maintain any healthy relationship at all. Number eight, I play video games and watch TV and movies way more than I would want you to know. Number nine, I would describe myself as a lonely person. Number 10, I struggle with feeling very depressed sometimes. So there you go. It kind of feels kind of cool. It's a little scary, but I feel like that's, that's what I wouldn't want you to know. So there you go. Now you know. Now, how do we, well, here's what God wants you to know. God wants you, this is what I believe he wants you to know when I read his, the, the, the Bible. He wants you to know that he knows all that stuff. He knows it better than you know it. And he looks at you and he delights in you. <laughs> he loves you. He takes pleasure in thinking about you, knowing way more than I even know or that you know. And the way that we grow and the way that we're healed of this stuff is a word called grace. What is grace? 
Grace is God's attitude towards us. And that it doesn't matter what you do, what you think, what you feel, what kind of list you come up with. You could come up with the most dastardly list imaginable. And his grace allows him or moves him to love you no matter what. No matter what. Some of the ways he's been illustrating that to me lately is I was in Minneapolis with, my be- with one of my best friends. And he has a baby. And the, the little boy is like this big. And he's just a baby. Like all he does is, you know, pour liquids out of his body and eat more liquids. And when he was, I was at this conference. It was like this big Bible teaching thing, you know. And there's all these big Bible teachers. And I would say looking at the baby for this five-second period of time, I learned more about God than I did the whole rest of the conference. It's really kind of bizarre. And I just was looking at this baby and this dad. And the, my friend Ryan was holding his child, and he was looking at him. And just looking at this child who doesn't do anything. He just exists. He was taking so much delight. It's like his heart was just filled with joy and like this happiness just looking at him. He was just pleased with this child. And the child does nothing. It's not like he does bad things or good. Those aren't even there. He just exists. And he was just delighting in this thing, this baby. And it was like God was communicating to me through my friend, I delight in you. Regardless of what you do, it doesn't matter what you do. I delight in you because I made you, because you're my son. And then another way was I was at Animal Kingdom a couple days ago, a week week and a half ago. And I'm walking around, and I'm just looking at the animals. And I'm watching, the. I'm just by myself, I've got music, it's like this experience I'm trying to have, you know. And... These people are there, they're looking at the animals, they're walking around, I'm just kind of observing, just kind of looking around, you know, God, teach me something here, animal kingdom, here we go. And I see these people, and the people will walk up, and they'll look at the bats, and it's like, oh, and they're like delighting in these bats. And they go over, and then there's a tiger, and it's like their heart is filled with this, like, joy and pleasure. Then they go to the, the, the deer, and I, was, I see deers all the time, keep going. And I, you know, I saw the, the, the gorilla, you know, the big old gorilla. And I'm like, that thing is awesome. And then I just, I'm just going to stare at these animals. So just stare at them. I'm going to be artistic, you know, I'm just going to stare at something. So I'm staring at this tiger. And it was like, this isn't like in the scripture. I'm not saying it's a word from God. But it was like the Lord was communicating to me through his creation. I delight in these tigers and you delight in this tiger for no other reason than in, it's my creation. It exists. I'm just like, yeah. There was so much delight in my heart from the truth that God takes joy in me just because I exist. Because I'm his creation. Like in Psalm 139, David is talking about himself. He's saying, I am I was, you know, woven in my mother's womb, and God created me and designed me. And then he kind of turns, and it's like he's talking about himself, and he says to himself, how wonderful are your works, O God. It's like he's looking at himself in the mirror, and it's like he's looking at himself, and he's like, I'm awesome. Look at this. 
I'm wonderful. Wonderful are your works, God. And you're just like, what are you doing, David? You're like, and he's just saying, I am God's creation, and I'm wonderful because God made me. He took delight in that. And I think in that is it's the, the, why it says blessed, blessed, truly happy. The happiness that everybody is looking for is in this. It's in God's pleasure over you and in your relationship with him. Now, how can you, ha- how can you know that God is, is totally pleased with you? Well, it's when you're his son like that. When you are his son or his daughter, you are his child. It is a guarantee that you are right with him because you're his kid and that nothing can separate you from a relationship with him, just like you will never cease to be your, son, your dad's um, daughter or son, no matter how far apart you may go. They may move across the world or even die, but you are still their child because you're connected through a bloodline. And that same thing can happen with you and God, where you are officially his child. And there's only one way to have, to enter into that. And it's through, you know, the most important thing that's ever happened on the face of the earth. And it's when Jesus died on the cross. Because what happened when Jesus died on the cross is you guys switch, it's kind of like he took our place. We deserve to be punished for our sin to be like punished for the things that we had done wrong. But Jesus went on the cross and took the punishment for us so that we could be set free. And the way that you can know that you're a child of God is if you believe in that. If you believe in Jesus, you believe that he is God and that he died on the cross for your sins, you, you know for, for sure, for guaranteed sure for the rest of your life and until you die, and even when you die for all of eternity, that you will be his child. And he will delight in you for eternity. And there's nothing that can separate you. And it gives you hope. You can have hope in this place called heaven where you will experience ultimate bliss forever. If you are not God's child, you will not experience that. You will be cut off from it forever. And the most important thing to ever happen to you is for you to believe this. And I can guess in a group this big, that there are some people in this room that aren't sure about where they stand with God. And I would say to you that now is the time for salvation. Now is the time. And I would say to you, believe in Jesus. Believe in him. And the way that that can happen, or that you can begin to let that happen, or see that happen, is to talk to him and to say, Jesus, I want to take off my mask and be honest with you. I don't know what's going on. And I think I need you, and I need you to come into my life and forgive me of my sins and, you know, give me this life that that we're talking about tonight. And if you want to do that, you just bow. I want everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes. If that's something that you've never done that you want to do, do it. Just talk to God and ask him to come into your life to to forgive you of your sins. And if you have already done that, and you know that you're in a relationship with God, I would encourage you to take off your mask with God. Take off your mask with him. Be honest with him about what you really think about him. And be honest with him about where you're really at in life. I I, I guarantee everybody in this room is not where they want to (laughs) be. It's kind of like you want to be somewhere, but you're not there right now. 
and be honest with them about that. This is kind of how relationships work. You, you talk and you be honest. Jesus, we thank you that you, um, that you love us regardless of what we do, but because of who you are, that you are a God of love and you love us for no other reason but you made us and that you are love. And we thank you for that and we praise you for that. And I ask you for your glory that you would continue to teach um, these students and myself about this, about this love that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, is the band still here? They're not going to play another song. Okay, I think Jordan is going to come up here. Yeah? You know, I, I, I wait for the day when this guy goes bald too. It'll be great. Because I know it's coming for him. You should see his family. It is coming. It's coming. Um, thanks, Mark. That was really good to hear.